Welcome to The Deeper You Go, The Weirder It Gets. I'm your host, Garrett Rennan. So I took a couple weeks off for the holidays, but I'm excited, glad to be back, excited for the new year. So if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, hit that subscribe button. Also, feel free to leave me a review. And if you have any questions, hit me up. All right, let's let's get on into it. I want to talk a little bit about goal setting. So are you ready for a no shit Sherlock moment? Well, here it goes. Goal setting is good. That's right. You should set goals. I know this is the cutting edge type of advice you can expect from this podcast. Anyway, we all know that setting goals is important for our personal development, but what may not be so clear is the way in which we state and define our goals can be just as important as the actual goal. The types, see the types of words we use, the emotions, the intent, the details we focus on, and the specific phrasing matter quite a bit. So let's break this down a little bit. Well, first, what is a goal? Well, it's a desired outcome. It's the destination, the end point, the X on the map we are striving towards. But on a much deeper level, goals have the ability to program behaviors into our subconscious mind. So the better the goal, the better the program our mind will run. See, the person I am and the person you are is nothing more than the sum of all our actions. And a large driving factor behind most of our actions are the goals we have set for ourselves. This is why setting goals is so important because they have the ability to change who, who we are on a fundamental level. But with, but with goals, we just can't fire and forget. We just can't hit it and quit it. Instead, we need to develop a long-term relationship with our goals. We should periodically check in and reevaluate to make sure our goals are still relevant because, well, things change. We live in a dynamic world and everything is in a constant state of flux. You, your circumstances, even the world, it's all changing every day. Which reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from the Greek philosopher Heraclitus. No man ever steps into the same river twice, for it is not the same river and he is not the same man. So when it comes to achieving a goal, the first step is obviously to define the goal. The next step is to come up with a plan of attack. Then finally, we need to take action. That's it. But obviously, it's not that simple. Typically, the process goes a little something like this. We, first, we find the location of our goal on the map. We then plot a course and start walking. While on this journey, we will inevitably run into some sort of obstacle. And this shouldn't come as a surprise because achieving goals is its not easy, right? It's hard work. So the good news is that each setback gives us valuable information. We then reevaluate and replot our course based on this newly acquired knowledge. This is an ongoing process. However, if we continue to learn from our mistakes and are willing to make the necessary adjustments, we will eventually find ourselves on the path that suits us best. And let's talk about paths for a second. See, we've all heard the phrase, there are many paths to the top of the mountain. While this is true, not all paths are created equal, and some will definitely lead you astray, taking you to a completely different destination if you're not paying attention. So how do we know if we're on the right path? 
Well, according to the shamanic author Carlos Castaneda, all paths are the same. They lead nowhere. Does this path ha- does this path have a heart? If it does, the path is good. If it doesn't, it's of no use. Both paths lead nowhere, but one has a heart, the other doesn't. One makes for a joyful journey. As long as you follow it, you are one with it. The other will make you curse your life. One makes you strong, the other weakens you. The reason Carlos Castaneda said that all paths lead nowhere is because the best goals are ironically not about the end point at all. They're actually all about the journey. Sure, there are checkpoints, you know, mini goals along the way, but a great goal is more like the carrot on the stick constantly pulling us forward. It's about choosing a goal that leads us on a path that makes us strong, brings us joy, and gives us meaning and purpose. So if you find that you're not on the right path, you may need to take a look at your goal and possibly rewrite it. A good example of how the wrong phrasing of a goal could, and I'm going to put the emphasis on could, so I'm not saying it will, just saying it good, it could. So a good example of how the wrong phrasing of a goal could lead you down the wrong path can be found in the dog training world. Actually, there are a lot of examples, but I I will use the dog training to offend as few people as possible. I only know a handful of dog trainers, my wife included, and none of them listen to this podcast, so I think I'm in the clear. So the wrong wording behind a goal can put us in an ideological trap that can be hard to emerge from. So I, I want to be clear, I'm not hating on dog training. Dog training is actually fascinating because it's extremely similar to people training, human training. So I've been training humans for well over a decade now, and the similarities between dog training and people training, believe it or not, are quite mind-blowing. See, when training people to become stronger, healthier, and more resilient, there is a constant de- debate as to the best methods and protocols. What are the best exercises? Should we be running? If so, long distance or sprinting? What about lifting weights? Is it better to lift heavy with minimal reps or light weights with lots of reps? Should I be doing interval training with minimal rest time or should my training be slow and focused? Well, the answer to any of these questions is it depends, right? It depends on many factors such as the specifics of the training goal, the current state of fitness of the client, the client's age, athletic background, etc. Despite what most people think, including many trainers, there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all program. However, too many trainers and even clients get caught up in the my plan is better than your plan mentality, and then they try to force the shoe on even though it clearly doesn't fit. And well, Dog tra- and the dog training world is no different. There are lots of different strategies and schools of thought on how to best train a dog. And one method that is quickly becoming popular is the force-free or positive reinforcement method. The basic idea of this training method is to reward dogs with treats or praise for good behavior instead of punishing them for bad behavior. 
On the surface, this method sounds great because there are currently some really cruel training methods out there such as hitting, kicking, electric shocks, shoving a dog's face into the ground, and yanking them around on a leash. And if you're, if you're a dog lover and you see some of these cruel methods in action, it can be really hard to watch, which is actually one of the main reasons the force-free method has become so popular in the first place, because nobody wants to see or make a dog suffer unnecessarily. So force-free training must be the perfect one-size-fits-all method, right? I bet you know what I'm going to say. The answer is, it depends. The answer to most most of life's questions is, it depends. What's the best diet? What's the best restaurant? What's the best car? What's the best martial art? The answer is, jujitsu. Just kidding. (laughs) The answer to this and all questions is, it depends. The problem with any one-size-fits-all ideology is that it breaks down once you start analyzing the gray areas, once you get down to the nitty-gritty. We, we can probably all agree that there is probably never a reason to punch, kick, or shove a dog during training. But what about the not-so-obvious forms of punishment? When it comes to defining what constitutes punishment, things get complicated really fast. What about standing on a dog's leash so that he has enough leash to comfortably sit, stand, or lie down, but not enough to jump up on a stranger? What about using an apple bitter spray so the dog won't continue to lick a wound? What about wearing the cone of shame? Are these cruel and unusual forms of training? Some would say yes. Others would say no. Most things are complicated, be it dog training, working out, politics, The answer is never just as simple as yes or no. See, always remember, one man's trash is another man's treasure. One man's reward is another man's punishment. Even something like murder can be complicated. Morally, we could probably all agree that we should never kill another human being. However, what if you had to kill someone in order to save your own life or the life of a loved one? I bet your stance on killing someone might change. So my point to all this is how we define our goals really matter. All right. So let me give you, let me give you two goals that sound very similar, but differ in a big way. So goal one, I will use force-free positive reinforcement methods to train dogs so that they can have the best quality of life. And now goal two, I will use whatever training method necessary. I will, I will use whatever training methods necessary in order to give the dogs the best quality of life. So both goals are nearly identical. However, one, one has stated the use of a specific method and the other one has a more open-minded approach. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying force-free is bad or wrong. However, the main intention for both these goals is to give dogs the best quality of life. Giving dogs the necessary training so that they may live the best life possible should be the driving factor, not the method, because not all methods are perfect for every situation. Oftentimes, when you focus on a method, you start to lose sight of the original goal. Let me give you another example from the business world. See, when you break it down to its core message, every business has essentially the same general goal, and that is to be successful. However, the ways in which they 
define that success is critical in shaping the future of how that business is ran. There's a great book titled Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus, How Growth Became the Enemy of Prosperity by Douglas Rushkoff, which really breaks this idea down. The book talks about how large companies, specifically large tech companies, behaviors and morals are shaped by the goals they have set and the metrics that they hold important. A business that defines success by profit and infinite growth is a completely different business than one that defines success by the well-being of their employees or a business that defines success by helping people or using environmentally sustainable methods. A business whose sole focus is money and growth, and trust me, there are lots of them, will inevitably inevitably put profits over people in the environment in, in, let's say, the form of low wages and unnecessary pollution. At the end of the day, I'm not trying to tell you what your goals should be. And I'm definitely not trying to tell you that your goal, that your current goal is bad or wrong. I'm just trying to bring awareness that the wording, the general focus, and the small details of the way you phrase your goal matter much more than you might think. And if your focus is on the wrong aspect, you might end up on a completely different path, one that is taking you far away from your original intention. So for best results, write your goal out. That's important. I'm going to say that again. You need to write your goal out. Second, analyze it. Then determine what the main intention is. Determine the most important aspects of your goal. And then after that, every few months or so, reevaluate your goal to make sure it is is still relevant. Remember, goals are programs that cause us to take action. And at the end of the day, we are nothing more than the product of our actions. See you on the other side.